No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network with our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves with the ability to grow right where you are. With the investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. This is kind of a bonus episode. I had an open call, an open Zoom call, and invited subscribers to come and talk about the issues affecting them in their own rural Canadian community. What troubles them? What keeps them up at night? What is affecting them where they are today? And Elizabeth from Vermilion, Alberta, answered the call. We had a lovely conversation. Elizabeth is a retired minister, a former farmer, and she was an activist back in the day. We talk about politics. We talk about Alberta politics. We talk about women in politics, but we also talk about climate change and community and how we can get back to caring about each other and having a difference of opinion and still being friends. I give to you Elizabeth from Vermilion, Alberta. Let's talk about um, what you were saying is happening in Alberta right now. (laughs) Okay, so Jason Kenney um, was not given, he had a a vote of confidence back in six, eight months ago, and he failed to receive the support of the party. I think he got 52%. He, I think under duress, um, he resigned, but he decided he wasn't going to step down right away. He was going to wait until the party had a chance to elect a new leader. So he has been carrying forward his mandate and uh, doing the things that a premier does. 
including uh, they had a sitting of parliament. At the same time, the election for the leadership of the party has been going on. They've had seven candidates, and the election is, I think, going, the results are going to be announced next week. So the effect is that we're going to have a new premier, but the only people who are voting for the new premier are people who hold membership in the UCP party, which is far from the majority. The UCP party, if you remember, was an attempt to join the traditional progressive conservatives who've held power in the province for approximately the last 40 years with a little uh, slice of a four-year mandate from the uh, Rachel Notley's NDP and a quite right-wing moving to separatist with a strong, really quite aggressive right-wing group called the Wild Rose Party. And so the UCP formed was formed as an attempt to bring those two groups under one big tent. My feeling is it's been an absolute failure. And the in an attempt to hold on to power, the more middle-of-the-line conservatives are not standing up against the right-wing people because they know that there's, particularly in rural Alberta, there's a lot of support there. And so the, the, I think the, the hope is that that's going to allow them to maintain power. I don't think it's got a whole lot to do with the good of the people of the province. In Alberta, typically, there are three voting blocks. There's Edmonton, there's Calgary, and then there's rural. And whoever can get two out of the three is going to be the ruling party. And so what are you seeing? I mean, are, is is there a lot of chatter online? Is that, that what's happening? Or, you know, what is where does yeah. your frustration lie? Well, I think my frustration lies with the fact that, that you know, we're going to have a, what appears, Danielle Smith appears to be the front runner. She has declared that her number one priority is going to be to pass a bill called the Alberta Sovereignty Bill. And there's a lot of chatter about how constitutional that is, because the goal of the the, uh, Alberta Sovereignty Bill is that if the federal government passes a law that the Alberta legislature deems to be not in the best interests of Alberta, they're just going to ignore it. So that's going to throw quite a bit of a monkey wrench in, and that's going to take, that's going to use up a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of oxygen in the room. And in the meantime, we are struggling with climate change, education, the UCP government introduced uh, a new curriculum that is highly controversial. Our healthcare system is falling apart. And there's the very real climate um, climate change crisis that we're in the middle of. The, where I'm living right now, we have not seen any rain since uh, July. The farmers are having to bale their, their hay um, well, it's pretty much off now, but they were they were going out in the middle of the night 
because the hay was so dry, it was so slippery that the, the belts on the balers were slipping. I've heard of guys that have had to be running their aerating fans that they usually use to dry their grain out um, to cool the grain off because it was going into the bins at 38 and 39 degrees. Can I ask you, are, are you a farmer or where, like, what, what do you, what, what are you doing in rural um, I'm, I'm not a farmer um, at the moment. I spent 20 years ranching down in, in sort of more south central Alberta um, in the Hannah area. That is uh, short grass range country. We had um, three, uh, 300 uh, cow-calf um, herd. Um, we grassed um, yearlings and raised breeding stock, uh, usually around 100 head of heifers over the summer. And then we backgrounded cattle um, through the winter. Pretty deep roots, I think. You do. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. are you worried that there's going to be regression, I guess? Is it there, we're going backwards instead of forwards? Or what's the most troubling, I, I, I so, guess I would ask? I think one of the most troubling things that I'm seeing is, and I, I was really troubled by this. I went, I'm from Manitoba originally, and I drove across Saskatchewan uh, to go to a family reunion this summer. And when we got into Saskatchewan, I remember driving that as a kid. And every couple, three miles, there'd be a nice, tidy little farmstead with shops and a house and, you know, maybe a few cattle and, and the little towns, they weren't busy, but they'd have a coffee shop and a, a, a little grocery store and maybe a gas station, maybe a hotel, you know, possibly a doctor's office or a dentist, you know, just kind of the little things that people need to, to keep going. And driving across Saskatchewan, we drove literally for hundreds of miles and never saw anything other than monoculture. Just fields and fields and fields and fields of exactly the same crop. The shelter belts were gone. There was no sign of a lot of those little towns. There was no sign of any of those farmsteads. Even when I was a kid, if farmsteads had been abandoned, at least the trees were still there. This was just, it, 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 was, it was unbelievable. And when we were coming back, and this was the beginning of August, so it was pretty dry and the crops were ahead. And we drove past these same fields that in a week had ripened off and were ready for combining and saw convoys of five or six or seven great big massive com combines in the fields um, and big uh, bee trains uh, just um, running through these fields. So, you know, rural depopulation is, in Saskatchewan, I can see where it's a real, really big issue. And the poverty that comes with that, because you're not going to have the tax base from these corporations to be able to continue to uh, keep hospitals and schools and government services and all those kinds of things running. And I can see that moving into, into Alberta as well. And you think that the change of government is going to 
be part of that. So what's yeah. the connection to that? Yeah, I don't. I think those are, are kind of bigger um, sort of high level issues. But I don't think that this particular UCP government that we've got right now is very, very focused on jobs, pipelines. Um, they have given thousands of dollars or millions, billions of dollars to prop up the oil industry. And now they have, I think it's an $18 billion surplus. And none of that is going back into schools or hospitals or social services. They have cut the cost of living increase to um, the uh, age program, which provides assistance to people who are on disability. Uh, They have cut uh, programming for special needs kids. Here in my own community, I'm involved with a a um, with a, a community run um, driving carriage driving club, and uh, we have always been able to use the agricultural grounds as our show ring for free. This year, um, they've almost made it so that we cannot continue to function because of the costs of uh, renting those grounds. And I mean, I mean, I'm not against renting but what they have had to charge us is just um just about our whole budget we ran a twelve hundred dollar shortfall on the event on the big event that we ran and so it's just being downloaded and and i i think one of the things i'm concerned about is people don't seem to make they don't seem to be able to draw the line between the increase in services or this uh, in the cost of services or the services we're no longer receiving and what's happening at the provincial level because everybody's because all this energy has been taken up on um on how badly uh ottawa uh, is treating alberta by not letting us have unfettered use to pipelines and um and, and to keep our, our oil industry running, which I will admit is important, but um, there's still deep into climate change denialism. Are you someone who has typically trusted politicians in the past and were hopeful that there'd be some positive change? Obviously you vote and, yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're conscious of that, you know, like you're conscious mm-hmm. of where your vote goes because, you know, you're expressing these concerns. Do you think that politicians in general are are representing the folks that they're supposed to be, you know, speaking for? You know, that that's a really very nuanced question, isn't it? Because first of all, we've got a party system. So any of that speaking up for individual people or for or for groups is going to happen within committee rooms and caucus meetings. It's not going to happen in public. You know, I think we really don't know what's going on. I think that most politicians enter into politics really want to, wanting to serve their community. But I think because of the way the system is running right now, and I don't know if it's ever been any different, but 
I'm not sure how much voice they really have. And particularly if you happen to be a, a backbencher or if you are a member of a minority, uh, you know, if you're not the ruling party, if you're the minority uh, party, you know, how, how much do you really have to say in those committee rooms? I know that there was a big scandal um, right at the beginning of uh, Kenny's uh, mandate where there was environmental committee meeting happened to be chaired by um, an NDP MLA and she opened the meeting and I remember this because it was my own M MLA who um, immediately she asked for an approval of the agenda and he immediately moved that the, um, that the meeting be adjourned. And it was because there was, and I can't remember exactly what the issue was. It had something to do with the environment. They wanted to do an inquiry into the way some money had been spent. And that was on the agenda and they never did get to it. I don't know whatever happened. It, you know, it kind of came up. It was two or three days on the, on the news thing. And then uh, Mr. Kenny's way of governing was just to pile crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis and just keep the, keep the news, the news going so that there was always something even worse that was happening. And then, you know, yeah. other things got buried. And so do you think that that's a trick that politicians use to deflect? Oh, I think definitely. I think definitely. You keep the news cycle going. You do, you say, you propose something absolutely outrageous. And and you get a whole bunch of chatter going. And, you know, unfortunately, um, I think the media's got, got a role to play in that as well. Where do you get your information, like media? Like what kind of media do uh, you consume in where you are in Vermilion and in close to Lloydminster? I seldom watch TV. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, and I try, I try to be not only discerning, but wide ranging. Yeah, I really like the Canada Land podcast. I, I think they do a really good job of talking shit about the news and, and a lot of stuff comes out, you know, about that. Um, yeah. I will occasionally even listen to rebel media as much as it usually, you know, raises my blood pressure, but probably unhealthy levels. But, you know, I like to hear what they're saying. I listen to the backbencher. I've listened to boys in short pants. Uh, I, I just, I can try to consume a fairly wide, wide range. I do tend to be more interested in, in sort of the more left-leaning point of view, because that's where I just kind of land. I'm a retired minister, and I found that um, for me, um, to have any kind of integrity, my politics and my faith system had to line up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I found that that, that just... That just over the years, and it was interesting because when I, you know, moved into ministry, I would have, I consider myself a conservative, but I found over the years, I'd just be moving further and further and further left. And why do you think that is? I mean, how, how does, how did you reconcile that? Well, I think to me it was, and I've said this to people, I started to take the words of Jesus really seriously <laughs> and believe mm. them. And, you know, things about caring for your neighbor. And it's not about 
having the most toys before you die. And, uh, you know, it's about everybody having enough and nobody having, nobody needs too much. And if you have been given lots, then it's your responsibility to share with others, you know, which are all good left, you know, liberal NDP political stances. I hear a lot of folks saying that two parties, NDP and liberal, are are so similar now with their platforms, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it differs in, by province, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, however, federally, the conservative party is moving. People would prefer that they would move further to the right and yeah. not be so, so centrist. So there was more of a, a distinction. What do you think about that? What I hear, well, first of all, in in my part of the country, in Lloydminster, Vermilion, people have a lot of, a great deal of difficulty differentiating between a socialist, a social democratic party and communism. That's a huge issue. I think that that probably comes from history. We've got an awful lot of Ukrainian uh, immigrants here second, third generation, who've probably listened to some pretty awful stories about, about the Russians. And, and, um, you know, that I I think those, those attitudes just kind of seep down into your DNA. You know, you hear these stories from Oma and Opa when you're three years old at, you know, at Christmas dinner, and it just kind of sets up a way of viewing the world. And that's going to, I think, take time. And I even find that people who are more centrist are still very, very afraid of the socialists. And sometimes that surprises me. I think the middle is missing. Mm, interesting. I, I, yeah, I think, I think is the, the real problem. And when I look at federally and I look at Pierre Polyevra and Jason Kenney, I see Polly Ever trying to do the same thing that Jason Kenney did, uniting that conservative thing and trying to bring them more central. And what ended up happening was in order to maintain power, Kenney became more and more and more influenced by the hard right. And I have a sense that that's going to happen federally as well, that Polly Ever is going to in order to, to maintain power, he's going to have, he, he will listen more to that hard right and he'll lose the middle. Let me change gears a, a tiny little bit. We'll still stay on politics, but what do you think about women in politics? How do you, how do you think women are viewed and treated mm-hmm. and, and maybe, you know, perceived in, in the political arena? Well, I have to admit, I've been shocked because I thought we'd I thought we'd gone beyond that. I was very shocked at at hearing from across the board some of the of the horrible things that have been said and done to women in the political sphere. I mean, in Alberta, interestingly enough, Rachel Notley's cabinet was equally divided. There were just as many men as there were women. I don't know if it was as virulent as what we've seen in the federal sphere. I know that there were there were some 
uh, misogynistic comments made, but I don't remember a lot of them, which is interesting considering it's Alberta. But I think in some ways, the war between sexes, and I mean, I know that, that uh, you know, it was, it was somebody from Grand Prairie who took after um, Krista Freeland, but I, I, I'm not aware of, and I may be living in a little bit of a bubble here, but I'm not aware of that kind of male-female thing. And so I was really shocked to hear it, to hear so many of the female MPs stand up and, and say that. And and I guess the mayor of Calgary has had some uh, racist and some sexist uh, comments made. So, yeah, I'm probably living in a little bit of a bubble. So Rachel Notley has been called some horrible names um, before she lost power. That happens in Ontario too. Yeah. And all over Ontario, women are, especially online. I mean, online is a really, people are very brave behind a keyboard and um, there's a lot of things that, but I think with um, Christy Freeland, whether you support, you know, the government or not, it's kind of terrifying that someone would get that close to you. I guess what I want wanted to know is whether you think women have a different point of view or a different way of thinking or a different way of gathering or influencing perhaps Mm -hmm. than a male might when it comes to being a politician. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think women bring, bring a different set of sensitivities to the public sphere. I think women view the world in a different way. I think women tend to be a little more a little more grounded, a little less little less caught up in the world of ideas and policy, and a little bit more on, you know, yeah, but what what is this going to mean to my neighbor who lives down the street? And how is that going to affect? How's that going to affect my school? How's that going to affect, you know, my parents' health care? Because in, in most cases, whether you're a politician or, or whether you're a, um, a, a store clerk, if you're a woman, you're still the one who's carrying a lot of those, those human loads, the, you know, the cost of um, making those decisions about education and about health care and, you know, trying to organize team sports and volunteering in the community. I see in my community of Vermilion and in every rural community that I've been doing ministry in, it is the women who are really running things. They run the music festivals, they run the 4-H club, they run the hockey teams. I mean, the guys might be out there um, coaching, but it's the women who are doing all of the paperwork and running the booth and doing the fundraising. And, you know, it's the women who are running the ski clubs and the skating clubs and um, the rotary and and all of those kinds of things. So then why do we keep electing the men and represent us because <laughs> I think the women don't have time. And secondly, I think, I think the women think I, I don't, I don't want to spend that time away from my family, um, away from my community. I think they realize the sacrifice involved 
And I think the men are in more for the glory. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I think no. that men tend to be a little more ego driven, a little more ambitious. I mean, we can have ambitious women and, and we have, but ambition for a woman means something different than ambition for a man. Now that is an idea I could get behind. That is very true. Women and men both have ambition, but it's different. Yeah. Uh, I think women, women want to think, make things better for everyone because that's in our nature. Yeah. Yeah. And men do it for power, lots of different reasons. And yet those are the people that we have represent us. Those are the people that, and then when a woman does, you know, throw her hat into the ring, she has to juggle all those things that you mentioned. And Mm -hmm. also though, run a campaign and she's criticized for her looks, you know, Mm -hmm. for uh, her not being at home, uh, you know, the things she's not doing because she's pursuing politics and, and then also for her point of view and, Mm -hmm. and then the, the attention veers towards her person and not her policies. Mm -hmm. Whereas men aren't as criticized for their personal appearance, what they're not doing at home, you know, and all of those things, Mm -hmm. um, because we have, we've put people into buckets. The people that represent us perhaps aren't representative of communities and in particular rural communities. Mm -hmm. My thought. Yeah, I think the personal attacks that come against men and the personal attacks that come against women are, are very different. I don't think the political discourse in this in this country is is much is much about policy. It tends to be much more personal, but it comes differently against men. The slights that come against men are not quite so biting attacking the person's very being their existence mm-hmm. yeah it's not yeah. about how they are it's about who they are yeah and so that is yeah. where we're at but i don't mm-hmm. think that that's an, a new thing i think it's just growing in its acceptance that we accept that yeah um mm-hmm. if you remember rona ambrose yes sheila yeah. cops there are all kinds of women mm-hmm. who have been criticized for their appearance people asking what they're going to wear mm-hmm. you know like or that their lipstick is too bright or like BS stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a distraction. It's a distraction from, and it reduces them to their gender. Yes. That's what it is. I like that. Men don't ever face that because it's always been white, white men in power. Mm -hmm. So we don't criticize them because it's always what, what we've had. It is the standard Mm -hmm. and, the litmus test, mm-hmm. basically. And now, when anyone different enters in, then, you know, they get criticized. And I, I'm not sure because Jagmeet Singh here is just kind of a, um, a non-entity. But, you know, you're closer to, to Ottawa and, and, and what's happening there. Are you hearing negative comments about Jagmeet Singh that are reducing him to his ethnicity? Twitter is is a cesspool of criticism of all parties and all people. Yeah. And I think you're going to find wherever you dip into 
uh, information consumption, you're going to find good and bad. Mm -hmm. And you are discerning in that you, uh, you don't listen to necessarily mainstream media. You're, you know, picking and choosing which things you trust. It's about trust. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I would say, you know, I've, I've heard people in my own community say things like Jagmeet Singh doesn't represent Canada. I think to myself, okay, uh, I know how you feel then. I think that we're very closed minded about who we think Canadians are. And I think in rural communities, because we don't see a lot Mm -hmm. of diversity, we think that that's the case across Canada, perhaps, or, you know, we, you know, we don't see it here. So, and there's a lot of people that, that don't want change Mm -hmm. and and don't want things to, I guess, dilute the whiteness. What would you like to see before you leave the earth? Uh, What, what would you like to see Canada do evolve to put in place to make it better than now. You know, I'm 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 a boomer. I was born in 1952, grew up as an activist in the in the 60s, and I still kind of hold to that those values of those of us who grew up in the 60s were were about and it was about peace and love and not soppy love, but loving each other, caring for each other, recognizing that we're all in this together and that when when i succeed you succeed and i can't say that there's ever been a time when canada has been that way but i think that's always been the hope and the dream for canada is a group of diverse people who come from many different places with many different understandings, respecting and caring about each other and working together um, to make not just Canada, but to make the world a better place. And I mean, that is, I know it's huge, but I think that's what that that's what drives my activism, because there's just got to be something better. And and so do you think that, that that politically there is some way that we can respect one another as we speak about different issues? I don't think that's ever been the case in, in Parliament. And it's no. that is kind of bubbling over. And I, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that, but all of the anger and the resentment and the the powerlessness, I would say has bubbled over into divisiveness and 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 a, a disrespect for a difference in opinion mm-hmm. and and i think most people what you said i think most people would want that i mean who wouldn't <laughs> want people to be able to get along and 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 love one another but but the thing is is we've all been very focused on ourselves and me, me, and I'm not getting this. And I'm pissed off because I don't, you know, like that. And Mm -hmm. I've been downtrodden. And, you know, why are these people getting more attention and money than me um, and my family? And so I think there's people are just fed up. Mm -hmm. And we there's got to be some way to get back to or get to even um, 
listening to one another and in the things that affect us every day Mm -hmm. are not that different across Canada. I think we all care about our families. We all care about what happens to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And, And so how do we come together rather than pull ourselves apart Mm -hmm. and criticize one another quite openly. Mm -hmm. Can we get to a place where there's respectful conversation and respectful dialogue? I think that's, and I think, I think that's what you're trying to do here, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. And I really can, I commend you for that because in listening to what you were saying, I, I kept thinking about, what is one of, I think, the most delightful and strong things about rural communities is that we do know how to put our differences aside and come together for the common good. Like all you need is for somebody's barn to burn down or all you need is for a horrendous car accident to happen to a local family and look at what rural communities can do. And nobody cares about, you know, um, the fact that maybe somebody's getting too much more than somebody else. Everybody just comes together and helps because that's what we do. So I think it's there. I think it's just kind of raising it up, encouraging it in some ways. As much as I, I love the opportunities for learning and for exploring different things that, that social media has given us, it's also become a bit of a cesspool. And I, I think maybe we need to help our, our children learn to be more discerning. Maybe we need to have some basic rules of decorum. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. we need to go back to having some basic rules of decorum in in Parliament. And I mean, yes, I know Parliament's always been a raucous thing. They still, and I remember times when, you know, people would be going head to head in um, in in uh, in parliamentary debate um, and calling them my you know my dear friend across the aisle and fighting tooth and nail, and then come Friday afternoon, they'd hop in their vehicles together because they were both going back to the same community. I grew up in the Trudeau era, the first Trudeau era, and uh, I remember, you know, Joe Clark and, and Trudeau having lots of big, terrible debates. However, they were friends. Maybe we can get there. I don't know. It's got to take some politicians drawing a line in the sand and saying, look, I'm not going to play that way. And I'm not sure that they would be successful if they weren't. I think that that's the fear. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that's happening with Biden. I think Biden has tried to say, we're not doing it. We're not not playing Trump's game. And he's being criticized for being weak and vacillating and, you know, too old and all the rest of it. And yet, you know, the things that he's, um, that he's holding out is, is for a, a more respectful kind of politics. And as I said, I know in politics, most of the work gets done in those committee rooms and they're bipartisan. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Elizabeth, I have um, really enjoyed talking to you and I'd love to continue, but if you're okay with it, 
I, I am going to actually make this into a podcast episode. Oh, sure. Is that okay? No, that's fine. Thank you once again to Elizabeth for her candor. And if you don't subscribe already to our newsletter, please do. I'm going to be holding these open conversations on Sundays, and you can get the Zoom link every week in the Wednesday newsletter. I'm still going to have a regular podcast episode uh, this week on Wednesday, but I think we're going to keep having these conversations. I really enjoy them, and maybe we can work out a few things in rural Canada. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season And as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 